As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about the film Lion and the BBC Three dramedy Witless. Caroline has also read some stories from Daisy Johnson's collection Fen for the first time, so she'll be telling us how that went later in the show. Hello! Hello! Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've been checking out our iTunes page and it is such a happy place at the moment. Thank you so much to everyone who responded to our call for reviews last week. It's really heartening to see the show like getting some love on there. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks also to everyone who responded to our Twitter poll. If you're not following us on Twitter, it is SRSLYpod. Thank you so much for voting for the theme of our next event. Overwhelmingly, you went with Harry Potter again. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... third time in a row. Thank you to everyone who clicked on the OC, but sadly, Harry Potter triumphed again. So our next quiz is going to be on the 14th of March at the same venue again, the book club in Shoreditch in London. Tickets are going to go on sale on the 15th of February at midday. Yep. So you've got plenty of time to organise yourself into teams, get ready to buy tickets, etc. Be great to see you there. We've also been looking through your emails this week. We had this really nice one from Lucy, who said, I just thought I'd write in to recommend the Channel 4 dark comedy series Flowers, on the off chance that one or both of you haven't seen it. It centres around the Flowers family, headed by depressed children's author Mr Flowers, played by Julian Barrett, and his resentful wife Mrs Flowers, played by Olivia Colman, as well as deluded inventor son Donald and his lesbian Kate Bush-esque twin sister Amy, as they grapple with personal and familial demons. I remember seeing that this was on, and every Everyone seems to be talking about it and I just kind of missed the zeitgeist. Ditto. She says, while initially cringeworthy and surreal, I don't think I've ever seen the difficulties of depression in family life portrayed so honestly and heartbreakingly on TV before. Well, this has got all our favourite people in Flowers, hasn't it? It does indeed. So we definitely do need to check it out. Yeah, so thanks for the nudge, Lucy. I never know whether I think listeners would like to hear the email noise where I'm like... (laughs) Here's another email. I've got it in my hand. We do actually print them out because we're that (laughs) lo-fi. I always try and hide it, but... 
This is the next email. This is from Catherine, who says she wanted to write and thank you for reviewing The Worst Witch. I imagine it must be difficult to decide what you're going to watch and read each week, and some things might be a gamble. And I think The Worst Witch is probably one of our more gambly choices. Yeah, that's true. It, you know, it's on CBBC, and it is a remake of a much beloved adaptation. So, so she says she has vague but happy memories of the books and the previous TV series, but stumbled on it again when watching with her four-year-old daughter Isla. And she says they've been watching happily together and it was great to hear your thoughts on it. After all, don't four-year-olds deserve to take pop culture seriously too? Yes, they do. Yes. <laughs> Excellent sloganising. <laughs> she also thinks that kids' TV is definitely better than they used to be in her day when it was Biker Grove and the Flintstones and why don't you? <laughs> so thanks for giving this one a shot. Well, I love The Worst Witch, so it was an easy choice for me. But mm. thank you, Catherine, for getting in touch. And actually, we had a couple of really good tweets about this from at Sarah Dytum, who said that she was just catching up on the episode, love the chat on Worst Witch, but feel compelled to point out that CBBC has strong drama chops with Wolfblood, Millie, In Between and Dumping Ground, all big faves of my daughter, who is a TV expert. Oh, very good. Well, I'm glad because we did say, didn't we, we thought it was better than CBBC content generally is. And then we were like, hang on, <laughs> we don't watch it. We don't know that. Yeah, well, we're not in a position to judge. So very, very happy to be corrected on that. Yeah. I'm, gl I'm glad that that level of quality is, you know, there's, there's depth and breadth in the output. So first this week, we're going to be talking about the film Lion, which is based on the true story of Saru Brearley, as told in his memoir A Long Way Home. And he's played in this film adaptation by Dev Patel. Saru was born and grew up in India, but after losing his brother at a railway station one night, ends up on a long-distance train to Calcutta. After being placed in an orphanage, he's eventually adopted by an Australian couple, played by Nicole Kidman and David Wenman. As an adult, Saru manages to retrace his journey using Google Earth and find his way back to his original village. I have to find my way back home. How long were you on the train? A couple of days. A couple of days. It would take a lifetime to search all the stations in India. Do you have any idea what it's like? How every day my real brother screams my name. I always thought that I could keep this family I need you, Saru. What if you do find home and they're not even there? And you just keep searching? Yeah, so it's a completely remarkable true story. Yeah, and I remember actually the news stories about this when it first happened because he actually did the retracing in 2012, I mm. think, and then the book came out in 2014. But I remember like BBC News like wrote it up. He was on the World Service and everything. It yeah. was it was a like a international news story. I guess the confluence of like ultimately heartwarming personal story plus technology in 2012 yeah. was a really big deal because the role of google earth is obviously massive in yeah. the in how he manages to figure out where he's from because saru is so young when he goes missing he doesn't really know the name of the place where he lives he only refers to his mum as mum he has no idea how far away from home he is or like what the larger district is that his village is in so he has no real way of anchoring himself there's also the language barrier Yeah, it's massive. Which is I massive. I didn't even think of that. Well, obviously, there are so, so, so many languages yeah. in India. So I think it's the case that he grew up speaking Hindi mm -hmm. and then uh, 
he ended up in Calcutta where the majority of people speak Bengali, I yeah. think is right. Um, so he just couldn't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. It's such a detailed and sort of complicated homecoming story that this film is devoted to that one mm. part of Saru's life, right? It's really from start to finish that story in its full detail without ever going into much other stuff about his life. Yeah, so there are a few like side plots touched on um but they they do all also intersect with that main narrative mm. so uh, Rooney Mara plays his kind of love interest they have a like slightly turbulent relationship and you know he has various outbursts where he's like you just don't understand what this is like for me to go through etc like, etc mm-hmm. et I was not actually a massive fan of that interaction because yeah. I felt like she didn't really get much of a character she wasn't really fleshed out she was mostly just there for Saru to like shout out yeah I mean I kind of felt that about all the characters in this mm. that I, I think and again it comes back to the strength of that true story so I don't particularly blame the filmmakers for making this decision but it feels like every single other character and every single other plot point is just used to further this one a plot which is obviously happens in a lot of films but there was something more striking about it happening to me there was a moment where Dev Patel was sort of dancing on the street and I was Mm. like this is the only insight we get into his character outside of this story and even then it's like for five seconds and it's just Dev Patel playing like a normal fun kind of guy we don't know what his interests are we know there's at one point they mention that he used to be into athletics, but they only sort of say that so that they can be like, but now he's always on the couch because he's so obsessed with finding out who his parents are. So I feel like even the main character has that same problem where he doesn't get a full character. He's just a person looking for his family. And that's the the one thing you know about him. Yeah. And that is both good and bad in the film because it does have this like tremendous sense of like, emotional momentum Mm. i found watching it you know there's lots of shots of the young saru like in the the long distance train that he's kind of trapped in you know he doesn't know where to get off or even if he can get off and he's on it for days before he gets to calcutta and you do feel a bit like you're kind of being dragged through the story in that same way like you you couldn't get off and enjoy a side plot even if you wanted to (laughs) you know it's like this great big narrative force that's a, a good way of putting it and i did find those scenes really unbearable of this young kid completely lost and alone and with no idea of how to get off this train, no idea of how to speak to anyone. The fear and the confusion comes across so strong. Yeah, I wanted to get off that train, but you can't. (laughs) You're sort of forced to watch it. And I found myself willing for him to grow up because I was sort of like, I can deal with this story of like a twenty late 20s year old man going through these traumas, but I can't cope with it when it's this young kid Mm. who's got no one. So yeah, I I was really like, please, where's Dev Patel? Hurry up, I can't bear it. (laughs) Yeah, the... The child actor who plays like young Saru is really good. I know, and he looks so much like the real man, mm. whereas Dev Patel just doesn't at all. He doesn't at all, and actually I felt like this film was slightly let down by its poster, actually, because on the poster it's got like big Dev Patel face at the top, mm. and then like small Saru underneath, and it's obviously like boy grows into man, man grows on quest, is yeah. what you're supposed to get from the poster. But they don't look like each other. No. And also Dev Patel's doing a very like noble suffering face which just makes me laugh a little bit yeah and i think dev patel just looks so much like someone you'd meet in the pub in bristol Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't know there's something that i find less grand about that person and 
obviously it's good that Dev Patel has such like a human portrait of this guy. That's a great thing. But there's something about his style of acting that makes it hard for me to think of him as like grandiose Oscar performer. Mm. He's so like, because he's like from Skins and everything about him seems so familiar to me in a way. I feel like the Academy has slightly recognised this by giving him a nomination for Best Supporting Actor yeah. in a film that he is clearly the star of. I guess it is weird, isn't it? But he, his story doesn't kick in until sort of halfway yeah. through the runtime. So I guess he's supporting in that sense, but he's certainly not supporting in terms of him supporting any other per- performers because yeah. it's always about him whenever he's on screen. Who is the lead actor if it's not yeah, him? Exactly. So yeah, that that I think is a bit odd, but I think perhaps, yeah, indicative of the way the film is structured. So yeah, I mean, it's just another biopic and it just seems like the Academy and the film industry in general is just not going to get bored of like noble, quite serious biopics, right? Mm. We've got Jackie, there's this gold movie coming out with Matthew McConaughey that's another based on true events story and, you know, last year it was Spotlight and Root, Root doesn't really count, does it? spotlight and all these movies just it just feels constant to me um and sometimes i'll be watching a movie and i'll be like you wouldn't make this movie if it wasn't based on true events yeah i felt a little bit like that with lion like would you make this story if it wasn't so that you could go and wow look at this real footage we have at the end and wow can't you believe that he actually achieved this incredible difficult feat and i'm not sure you would make lion as a movie if you didn't have the real guy to point to no, I don't think you would. I mean, I've not read the memoir that it's based on, but apparently it was really good. Mm. Uh, so I think I might actually seek that out now because I am interested in the real story as mm. told factually by the person it happened to. Mm. But yeah, as a fictional portrayal, I you're right. I don't know whether anyone would commission that. Mm. So slightly odd, but I would love to see the young Saru actor in more things because he mm. was just like... At no point were you like, this is a child actor. <laughs> it just felt so real the whole time. Yeah, and a lot of the the settings and stuff in India were really like well handled and all of the stuff with the trains, as we've said, was really good. And I was, as you say, it's a shame actually that they didn't go more into the kind of side stuff of, you know, what is inter-country, interracial adoption like mm-hmm. from the perspective of the person adopted. So it's a real like development dilemma that Mm. people face and yeah so interesting because each one is a personal story in lion that doesn't really get much attention no but a cool story to be brought to the mainstream So next up, we're talking about Witless, a BBC Three comedy starring Kerry Howard and Zoe Boyle, which follows two women who are forced to go into witness protection after they witness a murder. And it returned for a second season last week. We did talk about the first season when it aired we a did. year ago. I don't know. Yeah, I think at least that. So we'll yeah we'll link you back to our previous episode if you want to catch it was up. Forty on, something, I think, on so. series one. Because actually, this was one of the first things to come out post bbc3 going online only wasn't mm-hmm. it yeah it was this and 13 and a few others kind of went up on on iplayer as like the bbc3 box sets and you're that's, dead right yeah that's how this is served up to you again so you can watch 
all five episodes of series two in one go if you want so the last season ended on like quite a big cliffhanger so it's funny that we're sat here like when was the last season on because you might have to remind yourself of the last five minutes of season one if you're joining for season two wherein they shoot someone through a door has been compromised. They do. So they're hiding out in the flat they've been given as part of the witness protection thing. They've been tipped off that the bad guys are coming to get them. Their location has been compromised and as have their identities. And they are hiding in the bathroom with a gun that they think is the gun like that's part of the crime that they originally witnessed. The murder weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they, they like someone's jiggling the handle of the bathroom door and like they can see the shadow. So in a panic... So Boyle's character just like shoots through the door and it turns out that it's their neighbour. Mm. Um, and a new neighbour who's been a bit suspicious of their identities all along. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it starts again in media res after this has happened and they're calling an ambulance and, you know, obviously trying not to become murderers themselves <laughs> yeah. by saving this woman's life. And then, then it just goes full pelt into action and it's this whole season is set over four days. So yeah. it's really, really like high speed. <laughs> it is you know there's like a there's a really fun like sequence with a caravan on the motorway yeah. and yeah. all kinds of stuff like there's a lot of like physical comedy mm. in this and i was wondering actually while i was watching this what makes this a comedy because a lot of the things that happen in it are really dark yeah i said the same stuff so i had the privilege of interviewing kerry howard and zoe boyle last week and the interview is available on newstatesman.com i was saying to them you know this it does get a lot darker. A lot of the humour of the first season involves the fact that the gang who committed the murders that they've witnessed are basically teenagers. Mm -hmm. In this season, you start to see a lot more of the like senior gang people who are all quite scary adults and really bad things start happening to those teenagers. Lots yeah. of violence against these teenagers. And you're like, oh, this is actually really, really horrible. <laughs> and Kerry Howard said to me that it was a bit like you need the laughs even more you need them a lot more in season two so when they come it's like whoo and there's like a really long weird scene involving like a teenager having to expose his bollocks like in, in oh, a gang yeah. and like you don't know which way it's gonna go you think it's gonna end horribly but then it just ends with him like pointing his balls and being like this kid's got balls and it's funny and you laugh sort of with relief as much as you laugh from it being funny mm. so i think that's sort of a bit more of the way the humor functions in season two than in season one i don't know about you yeah that makes sense because i did find myself having watched the first two episodes of series two like together in a in a rush like just sort of outlining the events of them in my mind i was like this is not a comedy <laughs> doesn't like, sound like a comedy it doesn't sound like a comedy if i read this out my list of what happened out to you you'd be like well that sounds horrible is it a thriller that's on sunday nights yeah, you know <laughs> yeah and yet there are still great lines in this and i think for me the best humor just comes from the sort of quite Gavin and Stacey style jokes between so. the two lead women. So there's a great line where they're in the hospital and they're really hoping that their neighbour gets better after they've shot her. Zoe Boyle's character Rona says, I can't be a murderer. I'm a weekday vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like so funny because it's 
there's a, just a realness to that humor and zoe boyle said to me that when she read that line she was like guilty i actually am a weak vegetarian <laughs> this is really funny yeah but there's there's deeper stuff going on with the characters as well isn't there because zoe boyle's character of rona is meant to be like slightly posher mm. and from a you know either she perceives or she is from like a kind of higher social status mm-hmm. um whereas carrie howard's character is supposed to be more like west country she's got more of an accent she's got a much broader accent hasn't she? she's yeah. meant to be like basically a bit stupid i think <laughs> or rather that's what you're meant to think about her and then she you know and then she reveals that she's actually much better in a crisis and yeah. she can do things like lie on the off the cuff Whereas Rona is completely incapable of doing anything in a crisis. But, you know, and that actually comes out with um, Jackie, the neighbour, who they shoot through the door. Mm. You know, previously, there's a whole plot revolving around the fact that she keeps, like, catcalling Zoe Boyle's character, being like, why are you so stuck up? Why do you think you're better than us? Mm. And it has to be Carrie Howard's character who's like, no, don't worry, she's with me. Like, I'm normal. She's normal. We're all right. Mm. You know, there's all of that kind of dynamic going on which is really interesting yeah it's great fun i think it just adds a bit of texture to their relationship because it's never like spoken about in the dialogue it's never like explicitly discussed but you get a sense of this extra dynamic to their relationship which is already a little bit strained because rona doesn't really want to live with leanne but leanne really wants to live with rona and leanne keeps doing weird things to like basically fuck them over because she doesn't want the like the the hijinks to end too soon because she's having yeah. fun with rona because she thinks that their friendship is going to end once they get to go back to their normal lives because yeah. right at the beginning of series one rona has just told her that she's like breaking up with her as a flatmate because she's bought her own place mm-hmm. so there is that element of leanne slightly sabotaging their efforts to stay safe yeah because of that as well which yeah just as an added area of comedy yeah but um i like that it sort of gets more and more absurd every episode Mm. but it also seems to become slightly more real as it becomes more absurd because that relationship is just strengthening every time you see them which is i feels like something i see in a lot of like female fronted comedy at the moment like chewing gum like broad city we've all talked about these shows that have are so wacky and weird on the surface if you for example like you say just try to list off reel off a list of plot developments but has something so relatable about it it's core that you sort of feel like you know these characters and I, that's one thing i really like about Willis. yeah because like you were saying they definitely like settle into the character dynamic to the point where rona comes to rely on leanne to do the lying and there's mm-hmm. even one bit i think in the first couple of episodes where they find themselves in a strange situation where like an unknowing member of the public is like, who are you and why are you here? And she just turns to the end, she's like, who are we and why are we here? She's like, come on, do the lying. Do the explaining thing that you do. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a great comedy and the episodes are like 20 minutes each. So it's like, uh, it just really breaks up a day and I really definitely think it's worth checking out. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. 
Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Totally. So now we're going to talk about Fen by Daisy Johnson. Last week, Caroline and I read three stories from Daisy Johnson's Fen, though there are more than three in the collection, many more for you to get your teeth into if you fancy it. So we read Starver and Blood Rights, which are the first two stories, mm-hmm. and another one called How to Fuck a Man You Don't Know, because I saw the title and was like, yeah, we'll read that. <laughs> so Caroline, what did you make of these strange stories? I think they're completely amazing. Mm. You photocopied them out of your book for me so I could read them. And several times I like turned over the last page and I was like, why isn't there more? Like, where's it gone? Um, It was, yeah, it was really, really good. And there's an eeriness that's in common to all of them, although, you know, they don't follow the same characters or Mm. anything. But this idea of the fen runs through all of them as a kind of watery no man's land where the people have certain characteristics and there's a kind of slightly hauntedness of the landscape mm-hmm. they all seem to go to the same pub in every story yeah they do they're called the fox and hound and it has the pregnant bar woman mm-hmm. there are these sort of like little reference points and shadowy figures who reappear story after story i think of the three that we read my favorite was actually the first one starver mm-hmm. because it just goes in a direction i was not expecting <laughs> at all right so you know Spoiler ahead, it is one of those short stories that has a kind of unexpected reveal in it. Yeah, so if you want to not be spoiled, read it first and then come back and listen to this. But it appears for the first few pages to be a kind of classic story of like teenage anorexia. Mm-hmm. Of It's narrated from the point of view of a girl whose older sister has decided to starve herself, like she just stopped eating. Yeah, um, and there are little fragments in it that really reminded me of other anorexia mm. stories. I wrote a piece about the Cassie anorexia plotline in Skins earlier last week. And then there's a paragraph in that this story where Kay, is it? The older sister is telling her younger sister how she pretends to eat food yeah. whilst not actually eating food, cutting up all the pieces, holding a fork to her open mouth, but then saying something and putting the fork back down. And it's line for line exactly like that scene of Cassie and Skins, whether that's just because that's a classic trope of anorexia storylines or whether it's because 
Daisy Johnson was born in 1990 and probably was a teenage girl watching Skins. He <laughs> felt really like marked by that plotline like a lot of other people did. I don't know. But yeah, so it really does feel like that typical sister anorexia story. It really does. But then it just goes in this completely eerie fen direction mm-hmm. because Kay makes herself, as you would expect, she makes herself really ill through not eating for weeks and weeks and weeks. But she starts to transform into something else, you know, she, and her sister is complicit in it, that she struggles to breathe unless she can be underwater mm-hmm. and her hands become webbed. And anyway, the end of the story is she's just basically become a fish i got the sense because the story opens with a description of these eels, eels yeah, that were become an eel yeah they were basically dr- drained the flooded fens and then all that was left behind with these eels and they decided okay well, well we'll be living off eels for now but the eels refused to eat so they had loads of like wasted dead eel that they had to sort of get rid of yeah this has obviously been some sort of collective trauma for the people living in the fens all these dead eels and then when she starts to become an eel, she's refusing to eat too. It's these weird sort of yeah. parallels between human and earth. And, and then the, the sister does the final act of, you know, she sneaks her sister out down to the river and she lets her go. Mm. You know, in this sort of transition of like, this is what you are now and who am I to get in the way of it kind <laughs> of thing. And then you're like, what? And then you finish and you're like, what? Her sister became an eel and yeah. she just let her go. This is... Yeah, I read but a short so story. Bewitching. I read a short story as a child that I've I read it from my school library and I've never been able to figure out who wrote it or what it was about. So if seriously, listeners know, I remember they helped me out with that Australian program before very very well about a woman who gives birth to a fox and then the story is about her, you know, being like, no, it's my baby, it's my baby, and then eventually she comes to terms with the fact that it's not a baby, it's a fox, and she has to let it go. Mm. And obviously, it's you know about parenthood and letting go and so on, but just that image really stuck with me and this is similar in that it's just like such a visceral animalistic image that it's quite hard to put down. I found the same quality in the second story we read, Blood Rites, which is about a kind of coven of women cannibals, essentially, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, you know, these these three women who sort of travel from place to place and they live together and they entice men and then they consume them mm, which um, i at first thought was some sort of sexual metaphor and then you realize like oh no they're literally eating these men they are yeah but it has that same sense of inexorable internal logic that mm. while you're reading it you're like yep 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 absolutely then you finish and you're like what no mm. i just rooted for the eating of people <laughs> yeah it's really funny and then the third story is a bit more intangible mm. and it's a bit less of a clear plot with clear characters But the quality of her writing is just so good. And I read more than the three that we decided on because I was like, oh, this is such a good read. So I definitely would recommend it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely outstanding. Definitely going to get the whole book. Great. So what am I going to be doing next week? Total change from short stories. How we do it on Seriously? I thought we might return to mobile games. Ah. So so we we did a, a game a while ago, Monument Valley, which I think, you really liked. I did. I loved Monument Valley. I um, wanted more of yeah. Monument Valley. So we're going to have another go at a game. This one's called 80 Days, mm-hmm. which is a kind of text-based adventure game, if you remember those from the early days of the internet. Uh, but this one has graphical interfaces and stuff as well. But you do a lot of reading. Okay. 
of a story. You play the character of Passapatu, who is Jules Verne's valet slash assistant on his 80-day journey, and you make all of the travel arrangements, and you do a lot of like bargaining in markets and packing his luggage and making sure he's got all the right stuff. <laughs> and yeah, so you, you buy train tickets and you buy ferry tickets and you plan a route and you basically you try and beat the game and get round in 80 days. But it's one of those things where, you know, it offers you different decisions, mm-hmm. different options, and depending on what you like choose. Like choose your own adventure. Exactly. So depending on what you choose depends on the journey you take. Okay. Well, I hope I can fill Passapatu's big shoes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts. And thanks so much to everyone who left us iTunes reviews this week. Please keep them coming if you can, as it really helps other people find out about the podcast. Our next event, another Harry Potter quiz, goes on sale on 15th of February at midday. Make sure you're following us on social media so you don't miss out on the chance to buy tickets. On our website, seriouslypod.com, you can find all our back episodes, plus our specials on Home Alone, Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod at all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. (laughs) 